We are talking this morning about six decisions that will change your life. In fact, last week we began, and if you want to follow us this morning and you've got a Bible or an I, a U version on an um, iOS device, Matthew chapter 6, we were looking at this uh, question last week. Um, what are six decisions that will change your life? Last week we talked about the question, what do you do with God in 2007 can make all the difference in a person's life. The message that God has for us in this flat thinking world that says there is nothing more, all there is is material stuff. His message to you is this. There is a God, he is alive, and you and I are more than molecules. And no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done or has been done to you, there is a God and he loves you. And his son is Jesus Christ and he came to earth to heal and restore and forgive so that you might know life the way in which God has designed it. Come to know him in relationship to him and you reflect him into this world and partner with him in joining it to put it back to right again until he comes one day and does it in full. And his message to you is this, no matter how far you might be or how close he loves you, and wants you to make a decision for him. First question. The second question we're asking today and why it's got to do with courage is because it's almost the opposite. Is what are you going to do with worry? Is anyone here a worrier? Thank you. In fact, I reckon if there's one thing I know that's true of me and of human beings is that we are worry machines. We just have a habit of worrying, don't we? Richard Foster, a great thinker, theologian, he said these words, Our world is hungry for genuinely changed people. Superficiality is the curse of our age. The doctrine of instant satisfaction is a primary spiritual problem. The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people. I'd add to that, courageous people. I think this is happening because that is needing to be tighter and let's see how that goes. Right, Rob? We're here. Okay. If I stop moving, it'll be fine. The whole time like this, this is, I'm, I'm going to lose all of my strength if I just stand here. <laughs> but for deep, courageous people. So let me ask you this question this morning. Are you courageous? And do you have a worry machine? Because we need to come to terms with what it means to be people if we're going to walk through 2017 not just being washed by the waves around us. It's what do we do when it comes to courage in the face of adversity? In fact, one of the buzzwords that our culture is into right now is this word, resilience. Have you heard it around the traps? In fact, this word is becoming so popular right now that I might use one of the microphones that's just there. We're going to turn this one off and I'm going to use Jonah's one here. And so if you flick me over right now, Nick, we are going to be on here. There we are. That's good. Now I can move again. We're good. Have you heard this word, resilience? It's a buzzword all around. People are talking about this as though it's just the first time they've ever heard of this word. It's like it's been discovered. Have you noticed that even it's made it all the way to the Australian cricket team? South Australia, South Africa uh, whitewashed us in the first two tests, right, of this summer. And uh, they were interviewing their captain, Faf Duplessis. I like that name, Faf Duplessis. And they said, Faf, 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 how come the South Africans have been beating the Australians? And he mentioned the word 
Resilience. He said, our team is just seems to be resilient. Our Australian commentators got onto that and they talked about resilience. That's what our Australian cricket team needs. They need to have resilience. And then someone else said, I know we need to teach them resilience as though resilience is an A plus B equals C equation. Yeah. And, and then I've picked this same theme up of resilience all the way through. I was talking to some college students that I studied with 30 years ago. We had a reunion last night. I said, what's changed in education? Because I was a phys ed science teacher. And they said, the education system hasn't changed, but the kids have changed. I said, tell me, what is that? They said, well, they, they don't seem to be as resilient as they used to. I said, really? Uh, yeah. I, I heard a teacher talking about her school in which someone tripped over and uh, they had hurt themselves. And so what did the school do? They wrapped padding around every single pole in the school around so they could remove adversity so that the kids wouldn't. I was talking to a mother down at Aquanation uh, before Christmas time and she said, oh, I was at my local competition football for my son under 12s. They don't score in under 12s. They said at the end of the game, the two captains of the opposing teams were fighting one another. They went and separated them. They said, what's going on? What's going on? Well, it seems as though whilst the parents were really anxious about creating worry in their kids that they might lose a game, they removed all of the scoring, but the captains didn't. All the kids were scoring the game. And so at the end of it, the captains had got the score wrong. And so they're fighting with each other about the score. Have you heard this before? In fact, we've got terms that have been created right now called, have you called, heard hover parents. They're the ones who hover around making sure. Have you heard of cotton wool kids? I've heard of a new one now. It's, it's actually called lawnmower parents. Yeah. They actually pave a way for their kids by mowing the lawn, taking out all the adversity of their lives. You see, we believe and we think that if we remove adversity from people's lives, that it will make them stronger. But what we're discovering is that it makes them more brittle. Wow. So you don't learn resilience by removing adversity from your life. You build resilience when you face increments of challenge that require courage and you step forward. This whole scenario was summed up for me six months ago when there was a a news item and they were talking about Melbourne being the allergy capital of the world. Did you know that? Melbourne is the allergy capital of the world. And they were asking the scientists and doctors, what should we do? What should we do? And this is what they said. Tell the kids to play in the dirt and touch animals. (laughs) Because they discovered that if you're exposed to adversity in your immune system at a young age, that it can build and build and build. Now, that isn't true across the board for everyone. Courage is built over time. What does Jesus say in this uncertain, worrisome time? He says these powerful words. I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows and worries, but take courage because I have overcome the world. It seemed that when Jesus walked the face of this earth, he had very much front and center in his mind this understanding that you and I are worry machines. And so in the course of his life, he would stand before people and invite them, call them, invoke them to place their simple, confident trust in him, that even though they might have worries and troubles in this world, that there is someone that you can anchor your life to because he has overcome all things. He's overcome the darkness of evil and sin and destruction, has even come back to life again. He is someone who you can have and take confidence and courage from because of who he is. 
Jesus. In fact, Jesus went on in his life and began to unpack this whole idea of worry machines and courage and how to respond to it in all kinds of ways. On a mountainside, with a a number, a multitude of people gathered around him, he spoke about the futility of worry. He said, that that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries at a single moment to your life? Hands up here if you love worrying, like you just love it so much that you you just, at the end of a session of worrying, you feel better about yourself. Hands up. Is there anyone here who just loves worry? Because it just comes so naturally, doesn't it? You can worry about, Teddy, what what do other people think of me? What what do I think of me? What do you think of me? What what does social media think of me? Uh, What's going to happen tomorrow at my work? I've got to produce the goods and I've got to, what's going to happen to my family? What what, what about the finances? And what what, what worry just absorbs us. And, And Jesus stands on this mountainside and he talks about, you know what? I have never discovered anyone quite yet who has accomplished anything from worrying. We know that, don't we? But yet it's so hard. He goes on and he says these words. He he talks about the care of a maker. He said, and why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all of his glory, that is a king, a mighty king in all of his glory, was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow because they're old and they've died, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have such little faith? It was though Jesus would cajole people and invite them to look at the, the nature around and say, over time in the processes, look how what God has accomplished. And, and look at these flowers. If they're clothed, you are so much more important than they. Worry. It's so easy, isn't it, to be consumed by the anxieties of tomorrow. In fact, he goes on and says this, He talks about the consuming power of worry. So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of those who don't know Jesus, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. So seek first God and his life above all else and live rightly and he'll give you everything that you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow truly does bring enough of its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. You see, Jesus wasn't wanting us to turn off our fright and flight systems. We can't do that. He he, he wasn't saying, stop worrying. Isn't that the best advice you've ever been given by someone? You say, I'm worried. And what do they say? Don't worry about that. You go, that's that's good for you to say, but I'm worrying right now. And you are so overly optimistic. (laughs) We're like that. But Jesus says, no, no, there's things to worry about today. But I don't want you to get caught up and so overwhelmed in it that it encompasses you and he immobilizes you. Take courage, he says, for I have overcome the world. It's as though Jesus was imploring and impressing upon people he knew that there's a God and he dwells in the space that you can't see and he's closer than what you think and he's got your back far more than what you imagine. Many years ago, I was teaching my son how to ride a BMX bike. 
And we're up at a destination we love to go on holiday, which is up in northeast Victoria in Bright. <clears throat> and there's a jumps track near the uh, football oval there. And it's been carved out and forged out in rock and dirt and glass that sticks up in shards. It's a tough course. And, <clears throat> and I was teaching him to go over the, the jumps and, and go around there because I thought, I'm a, I'm a dad who has my kids back, you know. I want to teach him so that little exposures to adversity over time, it'll teach him to be courageous because I want him to be courageous. And uh, so I took him to the track one day and there is his helmet and his bike and his, and, and, and there was this really steep mountain that you would come down to do these jumps and these jumps were probably like two to three meters sort of wide, but you could go up a meter and you, if, if you could launch yourself, but I just wanted him to roll up and then roll down. And so we took him up and I said, go, you can do it. And he let go, and he was all of, I think it was eight, and uh, and he'd roll down, and his, his bike was shaking, and he'd sort of come up slowly and, and roll over, and he's doing so well. I said, keep going higher, keep going higher, keep going, until he was on the very top. We worked our way to the top. I could hardly see him. He's up there, and I said, look, what Dad's going to do is Dad's going to wait down at the first jump here, and, and Dad has got your back. He has so got your back, son. You can trust him, because... He is going to wait on the first jump, and, and he's going to escort you over the first one. So when you come up, there's the flat section he's going to place you on, and then you're going to roll down the other side. It'll be awesome. You are so courageous. We are teaching you courage right here. And so he goes up to the top, and, and we count it down. And we say, go. And Dad's waiting here, literally waiting here to escort him over. He builds up so much momentum that at the moment that he's going to actually take off on the ramp, I watch him go straight past me. <laughs> I didn't even have a chance to place him and escort him on the, on the flat ramp because he launched himself completely over it, past me. And there he was launched in the air, all of eight years old, holding on for dear life. And, and I looked over and my heart sank and he landed that bike. Give him a clap because he landed that bike. <laughs> For about one second, he landed that bike. <laughs> I was so proud of him. He landed that. And, and all the time I kept saying, hey, son, I'm your dad. I've got your back. <laughs> Don't do that ever again, dad, please. God is not like me. Jesus tried to impress upon people. That there's a God who actually knows you more than you know yourself. He loves you. It's not a matter of turning off worries. I think it's a matter of doing three things that need to be cultivated together. The first is this. We need to expand our vision of who God is and what he's like. Jesus spent a lifetime saying to people, do not fear, not that don't worry about things, but rather, don't you know who I am? He calmed the sea. They thought that they were going to die and... He just said, hush, be still. And they turned to each other and they said, who is this person? Peter hopped out to walk on water to go to Jesus. And he took his eyes off it and looked at all the waves around about. And he began to sink. And Jesus lifts him up and takes him back to the boat. And he says to him, are you of little faith? Come on, don't you know who I am? You need to expand your vision of who God is. This is how we often feel when worries strike, doesn't it? Isn't that 
But yet one of the psalmists in the Bible, a writer who had engaged with God, writes this, Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. This is the vast and awesome transcendent God who is beyond the ordinary and material, but yet he is close, proximal, and speaks. It's as though that Jesus would say, when you expand your vision of God, sometimes your worries are put into perspective. Like Wes was saying, here it is. See, that is, if I made it any smaller, you probably couldn't see. That was the lighthouse with the waves. In light of who God is, expand your vision. Second, cast your cares. Over and over again, it was as though Jesus would invite people to come to him and say, hey, bring your worries and your concerns to me because I care. Peter, someone who had followed Jesus for years and died for him, writes these words, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand, the transcendent one who's bigger than what you imagine, that he may lift you up in due time, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares. Jesus said, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and and I'll give you rest. Do you want to build courage? Do you want to overcome worry? To do that, we need a big God for big worries. Cast your cares. So often, isn't it true that we deal with God like this? You know one of those emergency fire alarms that say, do not break this glass unless in case of an emergency. But how often Jesus would say, break the glass, break it on small, big, whatever. Come to me, expand your vision, cast your cares, and lastly, entrust your souls. Wes said this before, I entrust myself. I met a colleague a number of years ago minister. Hadn't seen him for many years and said to him, how are you doing? He said, I'm doing well, but I have an incurable, inoperable disease. And unless God heals me, I'll probably be dead in a year and a half, just like that. I said, really? He said, yeah, I can see you might need a minute or two to just collect your thoughts. So you can do that and come back and chat with me if you want. Really? He said, yeah. I said, but you seem so calm. He said, I've lived in Africa for many years and life is cheap. I've lived longer than most people perhaps in Africa. And so this is my time and it's in God's hands. As I spoke to him, it seemed as though he'd entered into a completely new dimension in life in which he could truly say, come hell nor high water, I have entrusted myself to a great God who has my back to whom I cast my cares and I entrust my soul. You see, Jesus didn't say in this world, you won't have any troubles. But in this world, when you do have troubles, you still dare to believe that I'm here and that I love and that I'm with you. In fact, Peter, that same man, who died for following Jesus, writes this, so also those who suffer 
according to God's will. That is, for not doing anything wrong in this world, but just because of the way the world is, should entrust their whole lives to the faithful creator and continue to do what is good, even in the face of adversity. Do you know the peace that only God can give? Have you entered into a dimension in your life where you can say, I'm learning to entrust my soul? You see, one of these things won't work. It's when you cultivate all three. Expand your vision. Cast your cares. Entrust your soul. Ben's going to come up and create a space for us in a moment. There's two of the most worrisome things I think we can face in this world. One is public speaking. The second is flying on small aircraft. <laughs> Has anyone? Many years ago, I was returning from Burnie. We were flying to Melbourne in a Dash 8. In a Dash 8, you, could, you can hardly squeeze in yourself. There's two rows of single seats, I think. It's awfully small. The hostess, to go into the cockpit, slides a little slide partition. We were turning, and on the day that the wind was howling in Burnie, and we didn't know that there was a storm that had been brewing, and every other flight had been grounded from Sydney, from Adelaide, from Perth, but not our Dash 8. Because it goes so slow at 18,000 feet, it can ride on the back of a storm. So there we were. It started off with slight giggles in the aircraft. And then it turned to knuckle-embracing positions. Someone was sick and it actually began to creep down the... (laughs) And the smell... It was like riding one of those bulls, you know, those electric bulls in a... We rode our way into Melbourne. So much so that when we landed, people literally kissed the tarmac. In 2009, there was another pilot, American Airways. Have you seen the movie Sully? Took off from LaGuardia punctured all of the, the engines because there was a flock of birds. And in a split-second decision, he realized he wasn't going to make it back to land, and so he turned the plane with 155 souls on board, and he decided to land on the Hudson. All of them survived, miraculously. Now, if you ask me that day when we're leaving from Burnie, if you had one pilot to pick... In all of the world, to get you from point A to point B, and Sully was around at that time and I knew about it, you know who I'd pick? I'd pick Sully every time. Why? Because he had faced the adversity of life, courageously decided to face those fears, land an aircraft on an icy river. Tell you what, I've got a better captain and pilot of your souls than Sully. 
And his name is Jesus. He's overcome all things. Cast your cares on him. Entrust your soul to him. Come life or death. Expand your vision of who he is. You'll be able to step in courage. You see, courage isn't ordered like a McDonald's Happy Meal. It's something you do in light of who he is. So today, do you need to make a decision? I haven't been trusting and I want to trust and I'm hearing these words and I want to discover about Jesus right here in this place today. If you decide I want to follow that man, you don't quite know how or why, but you just feel I need to. I'm going to give you a chance for that in a moment. Today, if you're here and you follow Jesus, but you know, you are so diminished that your God is so small that you need to pray a, a courageous prayer for 2017. God, would you expand my vision of who you are? Yep. Maybe you're in the habit of controlling so much of your life that you cannot and will not cast your cares because you are the first port of call and you will only come to him when you break the emergency glass. But you need to do a courageous thing this year in 2007. You need to say, first port of call, cast my cares. And when you want to reel them back, cast them. And when you reel them back, cast them. And then throw it as a rock. Can you keep that, Jesus? I want to engage in six weeks' time to be the most courageous engage we've ever done. I want our engage in six weeks' time to be the most courageous one we've ever done. What might God talk to you about this morning in courage? Or a simple thing, go to the film, stand for justice, buy a ticket. So I'm going to leave you with these two passages. And in the quiet, I would invite God to speak to you and for you to speak to him. And then after a few moments of just opening yourself up, God, if you're here, would you speak to me? I'm going to invite you to do something. There's a green slip. Could you reach down and grab that? Courageous. We are such worry machines. I thought this morning we should practice casting our cares. So after a few moments in which Mark's just going to play and allow you to do some business with God, he's going to sing a song and and some people are going to stand up around the room and in the room next door where all the Mexicans are and we're going to invite you to write a worry down. And as Mark sings, and you can join with him in singing, that's fine, that's good. Or you might just want to sit and take it in. But you might walk up to that person who's standing on the side. They'll have their hands like this, just open. You place that worry. They're just going to place their hand on your shoulder, and they're going to pray for you. They're not going to take the cards. They'll just put them away afterwards. But you can have a time where you say, I'm going to practice casting my cares. Don't go away from here without giving over to Jesus. And then you can just return to your seat. I don't want to make this too high or too low. You can do this. Write it down. Go. Just receive some prayer. Not just receive prayer. And then come and sit back down. Allow God to speak to you. And when Mark sings, you see the people stand. Go. Go. Use the time.
to meet with God.